Welcome to the Life of Christ series 3, term 4. We are now at lesson 34. We're going to pick up where we left off in chapter 13 and page 5. We were looking at the scripture in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23 when it says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people, and also Mark said, casting out demons. I talked about this before, but let's go on, let's continue with the notes. Notice first of all, that in this verse, both preaching and teaching are mentioned. I mentioned this before. To explain the difference between teaching and preaching, William Hendrickson writes, the word used in the original for preaching means heralding, announcing, and proclaiming. Teaching, on the other hand, indicates imparting more detailed information regarding the announcement that was made. I thought that was quite good. Next, contrary to what some believe, Jesus did not do miracles just to confirm his message. It was a part of his, it was a part of his message to demonstrate what preaching the gospel of the kingdom actually involved. And why even the Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 1.5, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power. Amen? So we need to understand a couple of things here. See, this is where we're going wrong right now. Right now in the church, we're preaching, we're, we're speaking a lot of words, but there's not a lot of demonstration. Are, are you all here? No, I'm just talking generally, okay? I'm not talking specifically because there are some churches that are just turning the place upside down. And I can tell you some things that just curl your hair. But and we, we're going to see that here. Okay, it's God's time. But it's really interesting that what was meant to happen was that we were meant to not just preach, but then demonstrate. We were meant to preach that God came to save man, and here's how He's going to do it. Not only are you going to get saved, but you have problems, you have, you know, you have sickness in your body, we'll heal that. God will heal that. It's His healing power working through you. Doing those works. Amen? In other words, Jesus' de- Jesus's defeat of sickness and disease was a part of His overcoming evil. And unlike many Christians today, the Gospel writers clearly understood from watching Jesus that sickness, disease, and demon possession, so often mentioned together because they were all from the same source, okay, that's a d- sickness, disease, and demon possession, alright, was in fact the result of the fall and not at all God's will. That's interesting. Alright, that's why... They made it very clear that everywhere Jesus went, He actively came against Satan and His kingdom. And healed them all. That's how He did it. He didn't just preach deliverance, He delivered them. Except in His own hometown, because of their unbelief. We're going to look at that later. In his commentary, Leon Morris also points out, that Matthew stresses that Jesus healed them all. A fact that differentiates him from the healers of antiquity, all right, or for that matter in modern times. Those healers had their successes and their failures, but Jesus had complete mastery over il- illness. He healed all who came to him. Now that's, that's a key thing, who came to him. As a result, the multitudes being healed were returning to their own hometowns in droves and advertising everything Jesus had done for them. And why it goes in the say in Matthew 4 and verse 24, then his fame went throughout all Syria. Notice it didn't say his flyers went out throughout all Syria. And his newsletter and emails went out throughout all Syria. I'm making a point here. Hmm? 
When the power of God is active, God will go do what needs to be done. People will be your greatest source of advertising. And that's why you need to be careful how, you know, in, in all the ministry that we do, I want to share this with you now, make sure that we preach the Word. Make sure that you preach the Word. That you don't just heal them and say, look what a wonderful person I am. Because then they'll just use you until you drop dead and then find somebody else who can do it. Amen. Amen. We are here to minister the kingdom. Amen. The whole kingdom. Everything. Back to Matthew 4.24. It says then again, Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them, and could say all. Okay? He healed them all. There are several things of interest here. The first thing of interest is that Syria makes reference to the region north of Galilee toward Antioch and Damascus. These cities were connected to Capernaum in Galilee by a majority highway. This was one way they brought to him all sick people. So they're telling us how they got to him. The other way that the sick came and returned home was via the coast highway that came down from Antioch and passed through Tyre and Galilee and Gaza on its way to Egypt. In short, there were plenty of ways for people far and wide to get to Jesus, be healed by Him and return home to tell everyone about it. So we're seeing a little bit about the practicality of why the Gospel writers included these details. The second thing of interest in Matthew 4.24 is the phrase, all sick people. We can only imagine the hordes of people that came to him to be healed. And why it goes into saying the latter half of verse 24, and they brought, him, brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and various torments, we can add. Those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and healed, them, and healed them all. Now notice the two categories mentioned here. First, there were those who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, making reference to every normal physical and mental affliction that existed at the time, All right, like the fever that Peter's mother-in-law had, and, okay, and that Jesus healed. And second, there were those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, making reference to the more uncommon, unusual, and even extraordinary physical and mental afflictions at the time. Each of which Matthew then records Jesus healing throughout his gospel. So they were bringing, the, so, you know, when they make mention again, so again we, we speed read, we miss this. When they make mention, they are saying, they're, regardless of whether it was something that was natural, normal, and it's just like, oh yeah, we know about all of those, or things that were a little bit out of, you know, just on the fringes, so to speak. You know, something that we don't know whether that's a devil or not, or, or, or these are things that you don't see too much of. We're going to see an example here. Jesus healing the paralytic in Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. So let's read there. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, I'm in verse 8, Lord, I'm not worthy that you come to, under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. To my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. 
And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way. As you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Next we see Jesus healing an epileptic. This is brought in Matthew chapter 17. I'm just going to quickly go through these because we will deal with these when we get to them. Okay, in, in, in time. So much in them. So if I start, we won't stop. Matthew 17 verses 14 through 18. So we're seeing here Jesus healing an epileptic. When they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers severely. For for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. (laughs) Oh, we'll deal with these. Anyway, then Jesus answered and said, Oh, perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Finally, we see Jesus healing a demon-possessed person. And that's brought out in Matthew 12.22. And when one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute. This is usually a, a result of being demon-possessed. And this, this is actually... <laughs> oh, I have to share something with you here. This was actually the state of Israel. Jesus is going to bring certain things out, and, and uh, Matthew especially is going to bring out that, the, that Israel was so influenced, the leadership, okay? Not the people, but the leadership was so influenced by the devil by that time. Remember he said, you are of your father, the devil. Remember that? Okay? That they had become blind. The two things that it actually mentions here, where it says that they were blind and mute. They were blind to everything that the Messiah was doing. They couldn't recognize, they didn't see God working in him and through him. And what was coming out of their mouth wasn't praise, it was always criticism. And he says, and then again, one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him. So that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. Amen? So we, I've just given you three incidents there where he talked about Jesus did all of this, he did all of that. Those are the scripture references. Like I said, we will look at those things in more detail when we get to them. There's so much more in them than just what it says on the surface. Okay, returning to Matthew 4.24. The third and final thing of interest in this verse, and what I consider to be quite astonishing, is that Jesus never asked one sick person, Are you a Jew or Gentile? Isn't that interesting? Now the Jewish leaders would have done that. Are you sure you belong to the synagogue? Show me your papers. No. <laughs> okay? Man, you know, they were like that. But I needed to get this. Jesus never asked, and if you came to his meeting, you were sick, you got healed. He never checked, like, we don't have any record of him actually checking, you know, to see what their spiritual condition was. Do you know why I believe that? He ministered the word so powerfully that whatever was wrong was changed. By the end of it, that's why he always preached before he healed. Did you get this? Okay, because he would change the hearts of the people there. And if they weren't turned toward God, by the end they were turned toward God. Get it? And so they were in a place where God could now minister healing and minister deliverance and do whatever he needed to do in the midst. 
the whole atmosphere had changed by the time you finished. That's why it is important to preach and teach before you heal. Because you need to change the atmosphere and the people need to be willing to receive from God and have an expectancy in their heart to receive. And when that expectancy is there, then God will meet all of that. And He will just bless people and heal and do whatever need, whatever it is that they're expecting Him to do. I've just said he didn't ask him whether they were Jew or Gentile. He simply healed them all, regardless of their race or nationality. And so was in every sense the Savior of the world. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Isn't that wonderful? Praise God. William Hendrickson put it so well when he says, It is evident that the Son of God was going forth to war. I love this. He was destroying the works of the devil, teaching and preaching, casting out demons and healing sickness by the power of the Spirit, thus healing both soul and body, and more and more establishing the kingdom of God on the earth. Did you get that? That's what he was doing. He came here, he went to war with the devil. See, we are in a position, he put us in a position that we could go to war without repercussion. He went to war and then he had to go to hell. You know, man, I would have backed off a little bit if I knew that I was going to end up in hell for three days and three nights. No, seriously, can I just talk to you for a minute? Okay, can we just be real? You know, I mean... He knows he's got to pay a penalty for all mankind. He knows he's got to die. He knows that it needs to be blood that needs to be shed. This is not going to happen, okay, without him dying. It was not going to be a pleasant death. And it was not going to be a pleasant after death either. See, it wasn't just unpleasant on the cross. We see that in the Passion of Christ. But something happened after that and it didn't end. Alright, like I said, you know, people focus on the natural, because so much of the time we're just so naturally minded, it's, it's very sad. We didn't see that there was a spiritual price to be paid as well, that was in hell. So as I told you before, you know all those demons he cast out, all those demons he really miffed, they were waiting for him. And I tell you, they just put the herd on him when he got there. Why? Because he wasn't in a position... Remember when, when, we'll look at all this, okay, when we get to the cross. But remember when he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Interesting, he didn't say Father. Do you all ever pick that up? Anyway, we'll talk about all that when we get to it. Do you know why? Because now, his deity was separating from his humanity. Remember he was 100% God, 100% man. He wasn't 50-50, there wasn't half left on the cross. <laughs> Do you understand? This is what they call the hypostatic union. Uh, it's a big name. Anyway, it, it just means that he was all God and all man. He was all both. But to die, how can you kill God? You have to let that part go. Who sinned, God or man? Man did. Who had to pay the price? Man. It was a perfect man who sinned, and a perfect man had to pay the price. Get it? And so that's why it was my God, my God. Okay? It was, that was the point when he let God, the God part of him go. He had to. And he went to hell. So he went to hell as a man. He knew he was going, and he was going to have to pay a horrific price as a man. Down there with all the demons he cast out, waiting for him. You all here? All right. And Bob, 
tell you, when that three days was over, then we have Hebrews chapter 1, when God says, and again, when he brought his son back. Oh, oh, oh. I could, oh, I want to do a movie on that one. You know, I mean, you just, you could just see after three days of just, there are no words to describe the horror. You know, we, 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 you, you know, you can, you can go and see some people that have had visions of hell or being there and they're just saying it's just horrific down there. It's horrific down there, okay? Can you imagine the worst of that? And there are different levels, by the way. Alright? Can you just imagine the worst of all of that? And some descriptions are just horrifying. That's what was happening for three days and three nights while he, an innocent man, was being uh, tortured for all of us. And that's, that was a problem. He was innocent. He wasn't meant to be down there. To get it? But he was paying a price. And the thing was that when he finished, <clears throat> when God spoke back down, that's why he was able to put... That spirit that was all God came back in. And my goodness, what happened after that was a massacre. Uh, you, you know there was a little bit of payback there. <laughs> You can just think, you can just see Jesus just, you know, just coming alive. And, uh, you know, he just started to glow down there. Nothing glowed down there except all the fires. Can you imagine God in hell? Think about this now. Suddenly God is in hell behind the closed gates. And there he is. And somebody, you can just see, who let him in? <laughs> you know what idiot brought him in? It's like you to the devil, you know? <laughs> that was a price that was paid by him. Because he did that, we don't have to do that. We don't need to be afraid that when we are casting out demons, that there's going to, there will be a repercussion. But understand something, the price was paid, so that will be taken care of as well. But we don't know. A lot of times we don't know. A lot of times people go out there, they, they heal people, do all that stuff, but they don't realize, like Elisha on the mountain, that there's more with them than against them. If anything comes against them, to feel sorry for the thing, not to be running from it. Do you get it? And if we, again, if we don't expect, if we don't expect God to look after us, if we don't expect our angels to be standing there going, yeah, go ahead, just, just try, then we're going to be cowering, and as soon as you exercise fear, your angels are just out of work. Yeah, they, they just can't do anything. Isn't it interesting? Yeah. Even though you wish they would help, when you're in fear, they can't. But when you're in faith and you know, They'll work. And they'll do some extraordinary things. Amen. That was the price He paid so we can walk in that kind of life. Amen. So we can have heaven down here on the earth and then go to heaven after that. There's no hell for us at all. Everybody say amen to that. That's a good place to say amen. Okay, oh, oh, I'm running out of time. So it is again evident that the Son of God was going forth to war. He was destroying the works of the devil, teaching and preaching, casting out demons, healing uh, sickness by the power of the Spirit, thus healing both soul and body, and more and more establishing the kingdom of God in the earth. And so it goes in the same, Matthew chapter 4, verse 25, Great multitudes followed Him. From the region of Galilee, which consists of Cana, Capernaum, Nazareth, Bethsaida, so on. And from Decapolis, a federation of ten Hellenistic cities. That's why it's Decapolis, you know, D-E-C-A is ten, Deca, right? Okay, uh, Gentile cities, east of the Jordan River. Notice from Gentile cities they're coming too. Interesting, eh? You know why? They would have said, this guy doesn't care if you're Jew or Gentile. I can see all the Gentiles going, say what? This Jew has, doesn't have a problem. 
You can take your mother-in-law, whoever, and get him healed. Think about this. He didn't distinguish. You came, he saw you, he smiled, he healed. He sees you. If he sees you, you're there. Hallelujah. Jerusalem, that's the hub of religious activity in Judea. Meaning that attendance at the temple would have been a little bit down. I, I said here at an all-time low, okay? Judea, see, that's why they were getting mad. Which included not only Jerusalem, but also Bethany, Bethlehem, Jericho, and so on. And beyond the Jordan. Meaning that there must have been too many other places to even mention. It was just getting just everywhere. Get it? In short, Matthew was conveying the fact that people were attracted to Jesus from every corner of the known world. And why Hendrickson goes on to say that the multitudes must have been immense. Now, well, I'm going to stop there, but let me just say this. This is how you grow a church. This is what you do. This is when it's God's way. Amen? And if you're not doing it, then you're not ready. Whatever is happening right now in this church, this is what we're ready for. As the power gets turned up, more will start happening. But can I just say this? We mustn't be in a hurry. to See, this is something that God said to me. He said, don't ever focus on numbers. Focus on love. Focus on power. Okay, because the power will proceed from love. If you love enough, then you will demand, put a demand on the power, not demand God, okay, but a demand on yourself. You make yourself say, no, this will work. Because God's already said, yes, it's my, the problem is on my end. Do you hear me? That's why it says, the believer will lay hands on the sick. They will, if you are believing, it means, and see, the, 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 it's not just, uh, let me take a moment here. It's, <laughs> this is not just like, use the force, look, and you know, don't nobody, okay, uh, don't sue me or anything. But it, it isn't just like, like a mental thing. Even they realize it's more than a mind thing. If you listen carefully, it's a heart thing. Jesus said, if you believe in your heart, mountains will begin to move. Alright? And so, the thing that we need to understand is, but for the heart to be activate, activated correctly, it needs to love. Your heart was designed to love. Because you were created by a being that is described as God is love. Doesn't have it, He is love. So, if God who is love created you, then you were created by love, for love. Do you understand? And so the whole mechanism within you is activated when that love begins to flow. The love is what generates the faith required to move mountains, heal, sick, do whatever you need to do. Whatever that mountain is, that's where it begins. And if you love enough, then you'll spend time enough with God in prayer, whatever. Regardless of whatever else you're doing, you'll, you'll link up with God throughout the day and continue to talk to Him. And you know what? He's, that communication will allow that love to start pouring into your heart. Uh, Romans 5, 5, 5 says that the love of God has been poured into our heart. And it continues to be poured in as we communicate. 
And I'm just, I'll just say this, as you are, if you've got that communication and that pipeline to God, that love will continue to flow in and the faith will continue to grow. And can I say, the power will begin to increase more and more and more. And see, you'll begin with the ones that you love around you. So when, you know, your little niece or nephew or oh, your kids, you know, fall or something happens, you want to lay hands on them and expect a healing to come. Not just to lay hands like, you know, psychologists would say, you know, just lay hands because, you know, people like to be touched and they have to be looked after. I'm not talking about that. And that's good too, okay? <laughs> well, I'm not talking about the, you know, the power of touch. I'm talking about power in your touch. As soon as you put your hand on something, something happens. Amen? And that will come because you love and you are expecting God to do something. Amen? And that's where we need to get to. And that's what activates it. That's what all of this is leading us to. So you need to get this. You need to understand that the deeper we love, and we are not to love to feel sorry. Do you hear me? You are to love so that you can act. So that you can release power from within. This is not a gospel of just love. This is a gospel of love and power. And a power that comes from love. Amen? It is the key. I know it's, it's, we've said that so many times, but it is the key that will unlock everything. Hallelujah. And miracle after miracle after miracle will begin happening in your household. And I want to see that. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in your home as it is in heaven. Amen? Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you today for this time in your word. We thank you, Father, for all that you are ministering to us. And we thank you, Father, that we receive it gladly. And Father, that we, we come against any thoughts that the enemy would bring to us about being in the world and not spending enough time in the Word and all the things that He does to distract us from what we can do all the time and that is just talk to you. Because you are with us everywhere we go. You are in us. In Jesus' name, Amen.